On this episode, I will talk about a scandal now rocking the true crime community. I will try to figure out what we can learn from the 2016 Pike County Massacre. I will update everyone on a missing teacher. And I will cover a whole bunch of other stuff, including the continuing Powerball saga. I'm at Denzel, and this is Unfound Live for November 7th, 2022. everyone how is everybody doing uh tonight this is the unfound live show for november 7th 2022 yes it's already been a week since halloween i wonder if uh do you still have all your candy did you eat it all did your kids eat all of theirs keeping those dentists in business so here we are. It's good to be here. I just don't, as I continue to always say, don't know where the weeks and months and days and hours and, and everything goes. I just don't know. It just seems like I was just here a week ago or, or yesterday. I was here a week ago. Uh, I was just here like hours ago. So um, I hope all of you remembered to uh, turn your clocks back. Uh, I guess, I think you know, it's one of those things where does anybody really have to remember to do that anymore? You know, everything I think we use these days just automatically does that. Uh, if you have a, a digital watch, of course, if you have a laptop, a phone, the clocks in your cars, although I will have to say the clock in my car did not change automatically. I had to change it manually. But are not these things just like automatic these days or um, I, I suppose there still are people that um, don't have things around surrounding them that automatically change. So I don't know. So, um, but I did, I remembered and um, not a real big fan of this. Uh, time of, uh, you know, switching it. I like it being lighter later, but this is the way we do it in the United States. I, I happen to believe, I have to say this. I happen to believe that, um, if I live to be 80 years old, I think we will get to the point where we don't do that anymore. I think that switching the clocks and everything, uh, will be bygones. So, and I think that would just be better for everybody. And even Deborah's writing here, Arizona doesn't do it. Yes. And Arizona, I think, is very smart, uh, Deborah. I'm a big fan of the state of Arizona. So let's see who's in here. Uh, and then, we'll, of course, we'll uh, get to a bunch of stuff. I got a nice lineup of topics for uh, tonight's discussion. Uh, I always try to bring uh, interesting topics that I can comment on, you can comment on news maybe you don't know about you know we get into all sorts of stuff here 
So hello, Deborah. Deborah from Arizona gets in first. Nephew Charles is second with the, the rock on and the uh, emoji with the sunglasses. Hello, Karen. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, Karen. Yeah, we did change the time, so it's an hour later. I, I, I hope that's not too inconvenient for you, Karen. It's totally out of my control. Hello, everything, and talk me and Sarah. And uh, good evening, The Real. Good to see you again after yesterday. Spleen, Barbara, Fishing. Hey, all catching a live, live doll. Hey, Ed. Hey, Fishing. Lisa. Hello, Kathy. Uh, Looking forward to uh, our discussion later tonight. Yes, I'm going to be, I actually have a phone call to make after the live show. It's very convenient, though, that uh, Kathy is in California, so it's not too late for her. Uh, Shree, thank you for moderating tonight. Uh, everybody uh, say uh, congratulations to Shree because her Astros won the World Series. And if you don't know, Dr. Telesco, friend of the program, Dr. Telesco is also a huge Astros fan. Hello, Jasmine. Twinkle. Coffee, what's going on? I got your email about uh, Friday's t- uh, episode. Coffee, thank you for... Uh, the uh, opinions, uh, good to get an email from you. Fishing says, my phone is crazy. Hate all, love all. Talk me. Change the car, the stove, the microwave, and one on the wall. Yes, I guess talk to talk me. Um, those would all be locations that, um, of course, depending on your car, the stove, those things probably are things you have to change manually. Uh, now that you bring that up, I did have to change my white microwave manually. I mean... I mean, really, uh, of course, I don't know how old this microwave is. It's not mine. But I'd have to think if you buy a microwave today in 2022 that it changes the time on its own. I have to believe that. Um, Talk Me says, we've only been changing time here less than 10 years. Uh, where are you, Talk Me? Now that I'm, now that I'm curious, where are you? Hello, Leanne. What's going on? Yay, Astros. World champs, Kathy. Cheers. They slaughtered the Phillies in the last three games. I knew they would win. Indiana. Oh, okay. So um, it, before that, I guess you were like Arizona. You just kept your clocks uh, the same all the time. And then they ended up going to changing with the rest of this, the United States. That's weird. Okay. Uh, I want to remind everybody that to give this video a thumbs up. Do not forget to do it. Just do it now. You know this live show is going to be awesome. And share it. If you're not yet a subscriber, the easiest way to subscribe is just hitting the little bottom button here in the bottom right-hand corner, the little red square right there. I'm pointing to it on the screen right there. Even though I can't see it, but I know it's right there. And if you'd like to join, want to support Unfound a little bit monetarily, a few couple dollars per month, you can hit the join button, which they've moved it. If you haven't noticed, they've changed some of the things on YouTube. Kind of the font has changed, and all these buttons below the screen here have changed a little bit. The join button is now like way over here. It used to kind of be over here more towards the middle, and now it's over here towards the left. If you'd like to uh, support the channel, uh, I would deeply appreciate it. So think about doing that for the next almost two hours as I do a lot of talking, you do a lot of typing, and we have a good time. 
Moving on, uh, as far as what's going on with me, no disc golf this past week. Just taking a break. Um, have other things to do. A lot of things going on here. Doing a lot of unfound work. Um, maybe also lounging a little bit more than usual. Maybe, 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 maybe. And with the time change, it does make it a little more difficult for me to get out and throw because I do like going out in the evening. So like during the summer or whenever I'll go out, like I'll get over to the park at like seven and throw to like eight till the sun goes down. Now the sun's going down at five. So what am I going to do? Go out there at four. And really that's when I like to get some work done. So it's, it's hard to, uh, balance that stuff with disc golf. Maybe I'll get over to the, um, with the club on Sunday at Taylor. We'll just have to see, but nothing really going on there. Uh, I'm due to play in a tournament in Bradenton, but that's not until December. So that's a long way away. Maybe I'll get to work on my game and, and do a little bit of that. Of course, Powerball, uh, as uh, you saw in the description, I was going to talk about that. Powerball, uh, I know many of you follow me privately on Facebook. My friends, uh, were, my friend page, my regular page, the Edward Denzel page on Facebook, where I hardly talk about Unfound at all, and I really just try to keep things light and funny there. If you uh, that you've noticed, I've been writing about Powerball, making some jokes about it, and uh, you know, remember like a week ago when Powerball was only like a measly eight hundred million dollars. <laughs> this is just this just shows how distorted our perception of things can be. Uh, a week ago, I like I said, I think it was eight hundred million. Maybe it had reached a billion by that time. And everybody, of course, wants to win it. Who doesn't? Uh, all this stuff about, well, you know, if you win it, you're going to ruin your life. You're going to blow it. Everybody, everybody wants to win. Most people are going to handle it just fine. But everybody wanted to win uh, a week ago, of course. But now a week later, it's up to $1.9 billion. Now everybody's like, well, I'm glad I didn't win last Monday because now it's like twice as much. It's just amazing how quickly things can get distorted, how our perceptions of something can change uh, just in a week, even when we're talking about a uh, billion dollars. Anybody, uh, Bill Gates and whoever else would love to get an additional uh, billion dollars added to their bank account. Of course, I know with the taxes and everything, you know what I mean. But now everybody's getting like choosy, like, well, I'm glad I didn't win that billion because – because now it's 1.9 billion. It's so funny. So I've been uh, writing a lot about that. Hey, remember when Powerball was a measly $500 million? Remember when it was a measly $800 million? Remember when it was a measly $1.6 billion? And now here we are. We are on the verge of $2 billion. In fact, it will, of course, if nobody wins tonight, and the drawing will be right about at the end of this live show. Um, for if this goes to Wednesday, it'll be over 2 billion. Just can't imagine it. Just cannot imagine it. And it even becomes even more unimaginable if just one person hits it. Cause you have to remember the last time it was this big, 
back in 2016, at the beginning of 2016, January 2016, it got up to a billion some dollars, but three different people split it. So it was like a billion, you split it three ways, so that's 333 million, but then you take the taxes out. So after all that, each person gets about 150 million. But just imagine at 1.9 billion, if nobody else wins and only one person does. And if they take the annuity, it's actually over, even with the taxes taken out, it's still over a billion dollars for one person. Of course, one, you know, there can be a group of people going in, I guess, on one ticket or something, but still, it is crazy, crazy money. And it's just fun. It's it's just really uh, fun to follow all of this and imagine uh, who's going to win and hoping you're going to win. And even if you buy several tickets, um, the odds really don't change hardly at all. Uh, everybody you have, you go pay the $2 um, that everybody pretty much, uh, you know, has the chance and. I, of course, want to win. I have a lot of uh, things that I would do. But, you know, I just hope whoever wins it does good things with it. You know, it's best, uh, other than me winning, I guess that's the best we can hope for. Of course, a lot of other people who I know, many people in my own family are playing. So I suppose if one of them were win, there would be some residual uh, from that, that, uh, that I would get to enjoy. And certainly if I were to win, I would certainly treat, uh, my friends and family as best, as best, as best, as best I could. And I would hope that they would feel that even though they didn't win it, that they would feel like they want it too. That would be one of, of course, my goals. So I hope they will remember me the same way. Should they win? We'll just have to see. Um, Deborah says, I think Hawaii and Arizona are the last two states that don't change their times. I think you're right about that, Deborah. The real or our big one that I mentioned the other day, it had three winners, so they had to split it. Okay. Jay says, Jay bring, bringing in a different point of view. I don't want a billion dollars. No way. That's enough to have to worry about ransom, full-time security. Everyone you've ever known bothering you, no thanks. Well, you have to remember, Jay, Jay, it's, of course, none of my business where you live. Um, but there are certain states where you do not have to reveal the state will, will hide your identity, the, the winner's identity. So there's that Florida is not one of those states. Uh, if I win, everybody is going to know it. And I have to be honest that if I won, I don't think I could keep my mouth shut for very long anyway, but there are states. I know South Carolina's one. There may be five or six states where you do get to be anonymous. Uh, Jay, you're in California. California or not? Well, sorry uh, to hear that, Jay. But, uh, Jay, I'm going to be rooting for you. I'm rooting for a bunch of different people to win it besides myself. So, Jay, I wish the best for you. I, I, If you're playing tonight, uh, I, got the feel, I get the feeling, Jay, if you win, you'll figure it out. Freddie, thank you for uh, that uh, Super Chat contribution. Uh, that's what Freddie has done. And uh, if you'd like to monetarily contribute during the live show, this is the only time you can use the Super Chat function is, function is when 
the super chat is or when the live show is running. Freddie has done that. And Freddie, thank you. You are very generous. Freddie A, thank you so much. Good to see you tonight. And with a little thumbs up from the little uh, creature right there. The real. Remember how I joked about playing my ex's birthday numbers? Those were the numbers I actually got right. X, X is still paying off the real, I guess. It's still paying off. Deborah, if I win, I'd give one quarter of it to animal charities. Good for you, Deborah. Uh, Freddie says I'm feeling lucky. Sarah, what about New York off the top of my head? I don't know if you get to remain anonymous there or not. Talk to me. I may be wrong, but I think you can set up a trust before cashing the ticket and let the trust win. You can all do all sorts of um, lawyer type stuff. Talk me with the Powerball. But I think the issue is that even if you set up a trust or something, there are still very public ways that, that you can find out who runs the trust and all of that. So the only, I think, true way you can remain anonymous is in those states where it's by law the people are anonymous. The real, I should mention, he and I st- are still friends. He'd only find me doing that amusing. It's not as creepy as it sounds. I don't think it's creepy, the real, and I think it's spectacular you're still friends with the next. I am friends, despite me joking on Facebook about my exes and things, I'm actually friends with most of my exes. There are a couple that I haven't spoken to in years and years and years. But most of the others, we at least communicate once in a while and are friendly. So I think that's healthy, the real. Uh, Jay says, thanks. I'm not a player. I'm reading for you, Ed. Uh, Jay, that's very kind. Thank you. Um, Stephanie says, I regularly see articles in New York about who wants. So maybe this is uh, New York is a state where they um, you can't not remain uh, anonymous. So it's just I think it's gotten it's one of those things where I think it's caught everybody's imagination. It's bringing people together. People are talking about it. People are fantasizing. And, um, you know, with all the divisiveness uh, that goes on, it's nice to know that Powerball can bring us all together. Now, of course, once somebody does win that big jackpot, everybody's going to be jealous and everybody's going to be back to gnashing teeth. And what did that person do in his or her life to win it? And I deserve it. Then we'll go back to being ourselves. But until then, uh, we can all fantasize together. Uh, moving on, uh, the Christmas story, uh, one of my, not just my favorite Christmas movie, but maybe one of my favorite movies of all time, A Christmas Story. I think it's fantastic. If you've, I think many of you get a good feel for my sense of humor anyway, but if you're really, really wondering about the Ed Denzel sense of humor, um... All you have to do is watch that movie. That is my sense of humor. A Christmas story and the jokes in it and the way it's written and the voiceover and all of that. That is my kind of humor. It's just uh, very dry, very cynical. That's my kind of humor. And I think it's fantastic. I DVR'd it the first time it was on on TBS, which was this past uh, Saturday, and you can guarantee that I will be watching it many times between now and Christmas and even after. I love having it on my DVR. And in fact, I've had um, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation DVR'd since 
Um, it was on uh, a couple months ago for some reason, and I DVR'd it. So I've had it on my new DVR for a while. Uh, but I just haven't seen a listing for a Charlie Brown Christmas yet. So I'll be looking for that and to DVR that. I mean, those that's like the holy trinity of Christmas movies to me right there. A Christmas Story, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, and a Charlie Brown Christmas. If you got those three, that's all you need. And I also like like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the animation, the stop, whatever they call it, stop frame animation or whatever. I think that's fantastic. I actually have that on DVD, though, if you can believe it. At 52 years old, I have that on DVD. So, and I know a lot of people like Elf and uh, some other movies. It's fine. I think it's kind of funny, but still, The Holy Trinity is a Christmas story, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, and a Charlie Brown Christmas. And you should know, when I was in high school, we did... A Charlie Brown Christmas in Drama Club, and I played Schroeder. Um, let's see. Uh, Sarah says that's so true regarding uh, Powerball. It brings everybody together. Thank you, Sarah. Uh, I will shoot my eye out. Hopefully not talk me. Uh, I am going to be maybe going shooting later this week, so hopefully I will not shoot my eye out. And I will, of course, not be shooting a BB gun. Um, Jasmine says Christmas Story 2 is coming out soon. I saw that, Jasmine. Not sure what to think about it. Uh, you know, let's not try to ruin a good thing. Spleen, I got someone a leg lamp ornament for Christmas a few years ago. You are my kind of person, Spleen. Of course, I knew that already, but that's awesome. Sarah says, I love National Lampoons. Uh, Sarah says, Aunt Bethany. Deborah, I'm weird. My favorite is Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. No, I like that. Um uh, I think it's uh, – I'm a big fan of that movie. If if I had to put a fourth movie in there, Deborah, it, it, no, it's spectacular. It's really good. Uh, what is it? Yukon Cornelius and uh, Silver and Gold, Silver and Gold and all of that. It's, it's spectacular. It's so good. And uh, – but I, like I said, I think the Holy Trinity is the ones I've already said. But – Rudolph, maybe in certain years, maybe it might break the top three, Deborah. But I can always tell you that it would have to be a, a kind of a thing between a Charlie Brown Christmas and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer if we're going to just keep it the three. Because A Christmas Story and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation are not going out of the top two. They're always going to be there. But Rudolph Resident Red-Nosed Reindeer, spectacular. Jay, Ed, how long have you been doing your interviews with the family and friends of the missing? I started consistently listening in either 2016 or 2017. Uh, Jay, um, Unfound just passed its sixth anniversary at the beginning of September. So if you caught on in uh, 2016, 2017, um, you've been listening for at least most of the time. Uh, you've caught most of the episodes then. I'm guessing if you've been listening every week to every Friday episode. Uh, yeah, got started just over six years ago. I think that we are up to, what, 334 episodes, some crazy number like that. And I, I realize there are podcasts out there with way more like Generation Y and, and some others that have been along a lot longer. But um. You just have to remember that starting in the beginning of September, I think I've only missed three Fridays. 
uh, two when my mother died, and then one earlier this year when we were converting over from Podomatic to Spotify. That's it. So uh, it's crazy. But yes, that's um, there you go. Uh, spleen, everything I touch gets ruined. <laughs> spleen, thank you for that generous contribution once again through the super chat. Uh, that little button below the uh, has a little square with a dollar sign in it. If anybody else would like to contribute during the live show, but uh, and then JJ, wow, okay, thank you. You are very generous as well. Thank you, Jay. Thank you for uh, the super chat contribution tonight. You are generous as well. Um, wow, good to see some uh, people getting in on the super chat tonight. Thank you. Um, moving on, I have a. Uh, you're, well, you're very welcome, Jay. I enjoy doing it. Th- thank you for all you do, I, and I enjoy it, Jay. Uh, I do. Uh, I know it's tough work. Um, covering these disappearances, a lot of, you know, all of them, very sad stories, but somebody got to do it and not many people do it. I know, of course, Marissa over at the vanish does nothing but disappearances. There are a couple other podcasts out there, but there aren't too many people who do what we do only covering disappearances and nothing else. And, uh, somebody got to do it. Might as well be me and some other special people, I guess. Thanks. I have a funny story for you before we get into the true crime stuff tonight. Uh, my bike, which you can see is right there. Right here, this blue right there for all of you. That is a bike. I've had it for a couple of years now. It's kind of a beach bike. It has the bigger tires on it. And uh, last week... I was without my car because on Tuesday morning, I took it over to get the roof painted. And by the way, it came out fantastically. You do not even know how happy I am that that's done. And I got a very good deal, gave the place uh, a five-star review on Google, and I would recommend it to anybody who has a car in, in Pinellas County and need it painted. That's where you should go to Largo uh, Body Shop right there on Missouri Avenue. Fantastic. Very happy. Uh, but I was out without my car for uh, for like over two days. But it, then last Tuesday, so a week ago from tomorrow, I was without my car. But I wanted to get a, my Powerball ticket because, you know, it was happening last week. And so I came up with the idea of riding my bike down to the Exxon or Mobile mobile station three miles south of here it's a place i go often i get most of my gas there that's usually where i buy my powerball tickets although sometimes i go over into clearwater beach sometimes i get them when uh i go over to the Publix, which is a grocery store chain my local grocery store Publix. i'll get them there and but i decided you know i haven't ridden this bike in a while I've been talking about riding it again. So I figured, okay, now that my car is not here, I'm going to ride down there. And even if the tires are low, they have an air machine down there. I can fill it up with air. It'll be fine. I even looked on Google Maps. It said it should take me 15 minutes to bike down there. So 15 minutes down, 15 minutes back, half hour, no big deal. 
Well, it was a no big deal. <laughs> it was no big deal. And still, until I got this bike downstairs, I keep it up here because if you keep it downstairs, you have to keep it chained and then you have to like register it with the office here and all this stuff. And I'm just like, I'm not going to do that. So I just keep it in my place and I'll just walk it downstairs on the elevator, go down to the bottom. It's no big deal. So I get it down there and I sit on it and I realize that both tires are not necessarily flat, but they neither of them have very much air in them. And after some contemplation about what I was going to do about that, I decided, you know, the heck with it. I'm going to ride down to that gas station anyway. It's three miles. And like I said, Google Maps said the a bi- a re- average bicycle ride should take about 15 minutes. And so a half hour for a round trip. It took me 40 minutes to go one way. <laughs> 40 minutes one way. And it was a chore using that bike to get the whole way down there. Because like I said, I'm on the pavement, but the tires, although they are very wide like this with like knobbies on them, they're just about flat. And so I can only go so fast. It was a workout. And the kicker was that when I got down there, the machine, the air machine was out of order. So I had to bike pedal the whole way back with two, once again with two essentially flat tires. The whole trip took me an hour and 25 minutes, whereas Google Maps said 30 minutes. It took me three times as long, which is no surprise because I'm out there, I'm trying to bike down there, and there are people on bikes – not even like these racer people with their helmets and, you know, leaned over. Just regular people on regular bikes just zooming right by me. And these are not those motorized bikes. They were just regular pedal bikes. People just passing me like I was sitting still. The weird part, though, is and although I joked about being sore the next day regarding this trip, I really was not that sore. I made a joke about it, but really... um I wasn't that sore, even though the whole way down, my quads and my knees were aching the whole way down, the whole way back. When I got up on Wednesday, I was not sore. When I got up on Thursday, I was not sore. No soreness at all. I don't know why, but never again. So what I ended up doing is, of course, I ended up getting my car back. I want to thank my brother Brian for picking me up both times and, or driving me over there. What I did was I put the bike – well, I didn't have my car, everything. That's why. I, 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 my car was at the shop. So what I did on – what night was it? Saturday night, Friday or Saturday night, once I got my um, car back, took the bike downstairs, put it in the, in the, in the trunk. I left – put the seats down, took it over to a, to a place that did have an actual uh, working machine and pumped these tires up. wasn't easy. They were so flat that the tires wouldn't take air. Actually had to coax them for a little bit 
And now both of them have about 20 pounds of air, which is about right for them because, once again, these are these big, knobby, beach, like dune buggy tires on them. Not those little skinny ones that you'd usually associate with, um, you know, riding on pavement. This is a bike that you can actually ride on sand as long as you're kind of like down near the water where the, um, the sand is kind of packed in. You can ride up and down the shore uh, no problem that's the kind of bike that i wanted but you just do not even know me riding down there and riding back it was a grind and um there were some words there were some four-letter words stated on both the way down the way back and especially when i got down there and the machine was not working so that was uh that was last Tuesday evening. I uh, luckily I got back before it was totally dark, but it was very close. I thought I left him plenty of time to get down there and back before it got dark. The sun was technically down by the time I got back here. It was just just took so long. But you just I didn't stop though. Never did stop. Despite being sore and everything, never did stop. Just kept moving forward. Very slowly. And now that the air is in him, I was riding the bike around uh, the parking lot. When was it? Last night. And it's spectacular. Uh, I'm now, I now think if I wanted to drive back down there, ride back down there, that it would only take me 15 minutes. Pretty sure now. So there you go. Um, Jasmine asks, so are you getting your bumper fixed? I got a price on it, Jasmine. Thank you for asking. Um... It's going to be about 800 bucks to get the bumper fixed. It's going to need a new bumper. I need a new reflector. It's going to have to be painted. Um, so it's going to be a little more than just painting the roof. But what they did do, they did that. Uh, they looked at that while it was there. But the good thing they did is the problem was the bumper kind of was popped out a little bit. They took the time to at least pop, pop it back in. So at least looking at the car from all sides, you can't tell that the bumper was dinged, although some paint is missing off it and the reflector. It, it just uh, looks a little better than it did before because now everything's in line. Everything's aerodynamic and everything now. But I'm not sure if I'm going to get that fixed or not. I think um, the paint that was flaking off the top was really bothering me because that could get bad fast. Once it starts rusting, it's going to be bad news. So that was really what, that's really what I was worried about. So it's fixed and it looks spectacular. So I don't know about the bumper yet. Um, obviously if I ever go to sell it one of these days, I'll have to think about that. You know, will somebody understand? We well, you know this bumper's a little cracked. I backed into the, into it. Just don't know. It's certainly worth it. I mean, the car still has very good value, but it's uh, the bumper is just not a concern at this point. Although I did get a price, but thank you for asking, Jasmine. You were uh, remembering that from last week or when I talked about it. Thank you for remembering. Yeah, I uh, Boston says, "Oh Lord, I'm laughing with you." I had promise regarding my bike story. Oh, thank you, Boston, and everything. Like I said, the reason I didn't drive is because I didn't have my car. Uh, tubeless tires on your bike. Um, Char you should know my nephew, Charles is a bike expert. Um, 
No, I think they do have tubes, uh, Charlie. I think. It was just very hard to get air in them to start. Uh, when I would push the air thing onto you know, the thing that's sticking out, it would actually kind of go into the rim. And so I had to use one hand to keep it pulled out, and the other, you know, I had to kind of do it like this instead of just one-handed. That's what was going on there, Charlie. That was the really the big deal. The front tire was no problem. It was the back tire that, man, I had to work at it a little bit before it started taking air. When it started taking air, um, it was no problem. But it took uh, – luckily, I didn't give up easily. Uh, I'm glad I – Stuck at it for a few minutes. Uh, Laura, hi, everyone. Doing so much better. I've missed you guys, although I've been keeping up with new episodes and listening to the live show. Yeah, I know you've been going through some things, Laura. Good to see you. Boston, thank you for joining uh, the channel. I know that maybe you were uh, a member of the channel before. Maybe uh, a credit card or something uh, expired or something. Thank you for joining the channel again. That's what everybody's seeing there with the green um, box. And then also, thank you, uh, Emergency Fund for Air. That's funny, Boston. Um, thank you for the generous Super Chat contribution, Boston. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks. All right. Let's move on to the true crime stuff. I got a lot to talk about. A lot of um, a lot is, uh, one story in particular. Uh, maybe some of you know about it anyway, but I'm going to be talking about it tonight. And I'm just going to try to give it uh, the most um, objective point of view I can on it. But I'll start where I usually do. The, the disappearance of Mary Cox, of course, this was this past Friday. Her, da- her daughter, Connie, was the guest. And you just don't even know how many compliments Connie got as a guest. Um, I, I, you know, of course, you realize that a lot of the guests don't have a lot of interview experience. And I think uh, that you can kind of tell that, you know, we do the best and I'm happy of every guest that every guest gets through the interviews that we do is spectacular, but I think you don't have to be a longtime listener of unfound to know that uh, Connie, um, uh, was on a little bit different level. Uh, you could tell that she's used to speaking. If you watch the actual uh, video that's available here on YouTube, the version on here where you see me, you see her, you can even see she kind of has her own studio. She has like a microphone hanging down from above and everything. I'm so jealous. Um, you can certainly tell that she um, uh, talks for a living or something. And she does a lot of training and things, I think over the internet for her job. And you can certainly tell that in the interview, uh, very smooth. And, um, and it was a very nice compliment she gave to me after we were done. She said, Ed, you're very easy to talk to, which uh, when you're an interviewer, like I am, uh, that's probably the best compliment you can ever get. Probably you're very easy to talk to. So, and I deeply appreciate that. So uh, the poll that was posted in the discussion group, I offered up a, a variety of different choices. Uh, did Mary walk off? Did she get picked up by a stranger? Did she get picked up by a friend? Or is there some other possibility? What's interesting about this is that the most popular choice individually in the discussion group was that she walked off. 
And I think that that got 60% of the vote. But the other two scenarios of her being picked up either by a friend or by a stranger accounted for the other 40%. So, you know, given all the polls that have ever been conducted in the discussion group, that's a pretty close one. A 60 to essentially 40% split between non-foul play and foul play, that's pretty close. And I can't say that I'm surprised. That's not particularly, and I'll tell you in a second, not particularly the choice I would have made. But, uh, you know, regarding foul play, but it just shows you what kind of disappearance that is, is that it does offer up different interpretations. It's hard to understand regarding the purse. It's hard to understand regarding the charge card. It's hard to understand or the uh, discount card. It's hard to understand why seemingly nobody saw her walking that day. Can we really trust that this employee really did see her on the day of the disappearance and and all of that? Um, This is, I think, what leads to this choice this circumstance where we have 60% of the people thinking that it was a walk-off, obviously due to her mental issues, physical issues, maybe some depression, and then a foul play scenario where somebody picked her up and then something bad happened. Now, you should know in the, in the think tank, kind of the same thing, very mixed. And in fact, I think the split was five people thought it was um, – why is my nose itchy so – is somebody talking about me? Uh, my nose is itchy all of a sudden. Uh, five of the people thought that she walked off, and three of the people thought that there was foul play, that she got picked up. So very, very similar, even the kind of split, that 60-40 split, just like it was in the discussion group. It's very rare. Very, very rare, but I don't know if I'm that surprised. And so for me, writing the blog at patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast, I'm going to be talking about Patreon a little later. Uh, I decided that she did walk off. Uh, You know, I think the big issue that you have to look at um, in a disappearance like Mary's or Mary's in particular is that she really does who she was as a person. She checks off a lot of those boxes for a candidate for a walk-off between the the uh, the COPD or emphysema, uh, some mental health issues over her life, not just recently, but over her entire life, seemingly. Uh, living in a place that I don't think she wanted to be there. She's living in this group home, but seemingly doesn't have any friends. She wanted to move to Florida, but instead her daughter and family are moving back to Tennessee. It just is a lot of things adding up. And in fact, um, today I was actually speaking, although I don't want to get into all the particulars that what she and I talked about, but through Messenger, Connie and I uh, communicated today, and I even sent her the link for the disappearance of Holly White, which I see as a very similar type of circumstance, even though Holly didn't have any mental health issues she didn't seemingly have any physical issues but she also had a lot of things going on in her life 
and she also was a candidate for a walk-off, or just to put it outright, she was also a, a candidate for suicide. And so then we shouldn't be surprised that her car was found next to a bridge that was the most po- that is the most popular spot for suicides in New Mexico. So I said that to Connie with just telling her disappearances are about people. Circumstances are certainly important once the person disappears and trying to figure out what happened and all of that. But when you start looking for causes of disappearances, who the person is is going to guide you much more than anything else. And I used Holly White's disappearance as an example. So... Once again, in the discussion group, kind of that 60-40 split between a walk-off and foul play. Think tank about the same. And then for me, I decided that she walked off. And I tried to explain some of those things, the discount card, the uh, purse and everything during the Patreon blog writing uh, about it. So what's everybody, uh, Boston, I guess I was wrong. Boston is saying, I have uh, been a member without interruption. There's a tab to celebrate monthly anniversaries. It's my eighth month. Well, Boston, thank you very much. Thank you for explaining that to me. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I hope you're enjoying all the perks you get for being a member of this channel, the updates, getting things early, and um, I hope you're enjoying it. Thank you for the anniversary. Thank you. Uh, it's under the super chat. There, there you go. Thank you. Yeah, Sheree, Assistant Sheree, thank you. Um, member nine months. Yeah, it's, a, it's been about that long. Huh? It's an anniversary for a lot of people uh, now because we started that about nine months ago, I guess. Right? In like March, February, March, uh, the, the membership program on here. I hope all you will consider joining as well. Now seeing all those little green rectangles in the chat room. Jay says, agreed. You let people speak. You allow them autonomy, which likely makes them more comfortable. When you speak to them, you're clear, compassionate. Thank you, Jay. I appreciate that. Uh, As I continue to say, I've been doing this, all these interviews for six years. I would like to think that I am uh, getting better at talking to people. I'd like to think that. Uh, Boston, do you think she's still alive, Ed? I think the, uh, we have to remember Boston. That was 18 years ago. A woman who certainly needed medical care, maybe not daily medical care, but certainly medical care. She would now be 18 years older. I just can, I I would find it very hard to believe that she lived too much a day or two after she was last seen. You know, we always hold out hope. I could certainly be wrong. Um, But I think the circumstances do not lend themselves to you know anybody it was she was 54 or 34 or 14 or they just don't lend themselves to to people living very that that long after they just don't sharon thank you for the super chat uh contribution tonight thank you um for that you are very generous and you're welcome boston all right uh, i think it's about time i talk about uh, what we might call uh, the elephant in the room. Uh, I have to talk about it. And that has to do with the guy that started Adventures with Purpose. Uh, if you don't know, uh, it's come out within the last few days. Uh, and this is going on in Utah, in a Utah, the Utah court system right now. But Jared Lysick. 
L-E-I-S-E-K. He is the guy who started Adventures for Purpose. Of course, this is this scuba diving group that has been uh, doing a lot of good work out there, finding cars and rivers, usually with people inside, solving disappearances. Um, Jared has been charged with child molestation from something that he allegedly did did 30 years ago. If this is news to you, I'm sorry. It's like maybe you're just hearing this for the first time. It's shocking you. I, I apologize because I know most, if not all of you, know exactly what it, who, what Adventures with Purpose is. You've probably been to their website or their uh, YouTube channel and watched some of the videos that they've done. I, of course, have talked about them at least a few times on this live show. I think I might have even mentioned once, once or twice on the on the podcast. Um, but it has gotten out. It was kind of like a, how do we want to put this? A Reddit thing that I think just maybe people did not take seriously because it's on Reddit to start, but then links were posted and now it is surely a real thing. And he would have been like 16, 17 years old at the time. And the molestation was of a child family member who was under the age of 10. And um, so what is there to say about this? You know, I'm going to try to look at this from, you know, unfortunately, what's going on is this. Now, why someone would wait this long to do this, I don't know. Maybe, you know, and I can be as cynical as the next person. In fact, I think I'm cynical, more cynical than most. Is that could it be that this family member wasn't going to do anything? And now that Jared is a public figure and Adventures with Purpose is doing all this good work. And he's on national TV, and they're certainly making a ton of money from advertising revenue from all the the views, the millions of views that they're getting on YouTube, that somebody saw a way now to cash in on this. Certainly open to that. This is unfortunately how these things go. What doesn't help, though, is that this person who has brought these charges against him has made public the back and forth through texting or messenger that they've had on this very topic. And I don't have them in front of me. Uh, I've read them. But let's just say Jared does not deny it. And in fact, I think if you were to read the messages, It's almost kind of like he is trying to explain it away or rationalize it away and like that. Now, I think he does apologize, but it's under the guise of, well, it's this and it's that. And he talks about uh, Mormons, the Church of Latter-day Saints and all of these things. And it's obvious that it happened. Because we all know when we are accused of things that we didn't do, of course we deny them. In addition, what is sort of perplexing here is that 
when people are have done things that are wrong and are accused of them, they usually deny them as well. And you know, I don't have a lot of experience in this area. Um, you know, we try to, uh, you know, depending on the circumstances, I try to avoid child disappearances for very reasons such as this. Even though we just covered a disappearance of Mark Allen very recently, a uh, 13-year-old boy. And we, Leon Hosberg and many, mother, many other, Jennifer Perry, many other children have gone missing. But uh, I'd like to say the way I would like to put it, I pick my spots regarding that particular topic of covering child disappearances. But what I think I know about this is that, unfortunately, I think the way he's responding to this is the way most pedophiles respond when they are confronted with this. They never deny it. Well, they do deny it maybe in court, but when they are confronted by like a family member or a friend or something, they go through this mechanism of trying to explain their behavior away. So this is something that is really rocking uh, the true crime community. Obviously, over the last couple of years, Adventures of Purpose have built up a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of goodwill. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. But this is certainly going to hurt. Now, you should know, maybe fortunately, there have been other scuba diving, are they companies? Or, or groups that have now also popped up. It's not just Adventures of a Purpose that is doing this now. There's at least three or four. I know one of them is called, what, Chaos Divers, something like that. And there are others that have now seen what Jared and his group have been doing and say, you know what, we know how to do that too. We have the skill. We have the technology. Um, you know, we can start doing that too. And I support all these people. Now, I support them knowing that the types of disappearances that they're looking to are only like 2% of disappearances overall, but, but this is going to hurt. Um, and, but there's also something else that, you know, I think I can now say it's not something that, how do I want to put this? There are just things about Jared that, Sheree and I have known for a while. Now you may, this, if what I'm going to tell you certainly is as shocking as him being charged with child molestation. But if you were to look up Jared Lysick, you would find out that he's not that great of a guy anyway. Uh, the truth is, is that he spent quite a bit of his adult life being a con man. And um, he uh, had charges brought against him. He was guilty, um, ripping people off. And I think the way that Adventures with Purpose occurred, if I were to explain it, and the thing is, I've known about this for a while. Sharia is the moderator. She and I have talked about this many times. But I'm also in a position where I don't want to, you know, they're doing good work and maybe a guy has turned, you know, a new leaf. You know, he's lived the, you know, bad part of his life doing this, doing this. And then he comes across, you know, upon doing this and now, you know, he's doing good work and he's put this stuff behind him. Well, 
I think we now know the way he reacted to being confronted with this molestation stuff is that he's not a changed man at all. And I think that we have to remember for everybody, myself included, by the way, is that character is destiny. We can do all sorts of good works, but character and morality is destiny. And if you cannot keep those things in line in your life, they will eventually come back to bite you no matter how many good works you you do. And I think what is obvious is that despite Jarrett doing these good works over the last and, and doing this and uh, going out there and solving these disappearances, it seems at his core, he's still not a very good person. So, you know, trying to explain it away and, and all of these things, um, it's very sad. Very sad. Um, let me uh, see what everybody is saying here. Um, Jasmine says, I didn't see this coming. Deborah, you're very generous. Thank you for the super chat contribution. Puma says, I unsubscribed from them last summer when he rubbed me the wrong way on a case in Tennessee. Um, that's interesting, Puma. Boston, his family shunned her. She's going federal, not civil. She won't get a dime unless she goes civil. Charlie says it's a criminal case, though, not civil. She's not going after money. Suzanne, I even Googled it before I ask you where I'm going to cover it tonight. Makes AWP look very bad. Yeah, the emails, Gordon says. Ferry says, Puma Jane, I picked up some odd energy, too, from him. Hardy was mean and didn't treat the others well. He doesn't pay them at all. Everything says very disappointed in Jared. Suzanne, I feel guilty. Find him guilty over these emails. Look at Steve Pankey, no evidence, and they found him guilty. Boston, the statute of limitations has been removed, so he's no longer protected. And Shree even brought that up to me earlier today. It very well may be one of the reasons that he handled it, those conversations the way he did is because he thought he couldn't be charged with anything anymore, which makes it even dirtier. Um, Puma, yes, very arrogant, narcissistic. That's what I got from the case in Tennessee, and I stopped with them. Boston, he also stepped down as CEO a month ago. He knew this was coming. Ferry tried to do the same behavior they did to them when they did uh, pretend to rationalize the bad behavior. Uh, TD said business issues, yes, uh, regarding his prior dealings. That's true. Uh, the Zavlor is the link to purchase a shirt posted. Um, not in here, uh, the Zavlar. Not, uh, not right now. No, Poom. He's a smooth talker, fairy. Definitely no. He doesn't give the other guys any of the money they get. It all goes to him. I don't know anything about. It. I'm, I'm not here to get into money stuff. I don't know. Um, you know, if these people, if people who work with Adventures of Purpose want to work for free, that's their business. I, I don't know anything about that. Um, but like I said, I've known about his felonies and his past, not this stuff, but business stuff, I guess what we might call white collar crime from years ago, but kind of kept it quiet because, you know, they're out there doing good work. No reason to uh, damage a good thing. I'm not, you know, in addition to the fact I start doing that and then people start wondering, well, what's Ed's 
uh, why is Ed doing this? You know, that doesn't help anybody. If they're going to do good work, just go do it. Fine by me. But I also, on the other hand, given what I do, and I'm always very particular about people I associate with and everything else, I will look up people's histories. I will look up their criminal records. I will look those things up. It's just what I have to do doing this, this podcast. And as soon as I saw that, I said, yeah, I'm going to have to keep them at arm's length. I'll speak well of them, but I'm not going to have anything to do with them. I would admit early on, uh, we tried to get an interview, but that was, I think, because before I knew some of this stuff, had I known about his former business problems and everything, there's no way I would have ever asked him uh, for an interview or anything. Fine what they're doing, but Puma says he spent time in jail for his prior dealings. Uh, boss is smart at arm's length. Uh, Lisa, thank you uh, because you're awesome. Oh, now I'm blushing, Lisa. Thank you very much for that contribution uh, through Super Chat. You're very generous. Thank you, Lisa. Because, you know, um, you know, I think about that myself. Now, you should know you can go look me up on anything anywhere. I don't have any felonies. I haven't even had a speeding ticket since it's since uh, 2006. Um, you know, I've never really, uh, you know, I've certainly broken the law a few times. <laughs> uh, really more mischievous stuff. Like I'll, I'll admit like drag racing, like street racing way, way, way back in the day. Uh, back in like the 1990s, I will admit to that. Nobody ever got hurt. Nobody, although, you know, once again, in hindsight, 2020, not the smartest things to do. But when you grow up in a little town in Pennsylvania, there isn't much to do. Um, you know, and of course, uh, when you get into entertainment in Las Vegas, uh, you just never know the circles that you're going to run into. And I even talked to like last uh, Monday about going to this haunted house a couple years in a row with the amazing Jonathan, Jonathan, where there were live sex acts going on and things like that. But I, I am very fortunate to say um, I'm a very, very boring guy. Uh, you just don't even know it. Uh, I know that when I look at people's criminal records and things that I happen to run across, I'm just like, how do you do that stuff? It's, I got nothing like that. Very fortunate. I, I suppose that had I been caught drag racing one of those times and lost my license and everything, I suppose that would be on my record all these years later, but that never happened. Um, you know, and I did, you know, I did some other things, but never, of course, no drugs, all that stuff, you know, never that. I'm just, more of a mischievous guy, you know, pranks and things like that regarding, you know, the way I handle my life. But so I guess we all have skeletons in the closet. Uh, but, you know, for me, nothing like ever close to this. And in that way, uh, I have no bad business dealings. I've never screwed anybody out of any money. Uh, or, or anything like that. And so that's why um, when it comes to my history and my past and what I've done with my life, you know what? You want to go back through all 52 years and three months and some days, good luck to you because there's nothing to find. There is just nothing 
to find. Some weird stuff, yes. When you work in entertainment in Las Vegas, there's going to be weird stuff. But um, nothing criminal, nothing immoral, nothing unethical. And um, it's very sad. This is This does... You know, I think that this is probably going to damage the true crime community, at least for a little bit, especially given the, how much attention Adventures with Purpose has gotten. And now, like, somebody at the forefront of all of that, the person who's running it, it's going to damage it for a little bit. Uh, I think it can recover. Uh, Adventures with Purpose as a name, they might want to think about uh, changing the name and Jared stepping down and everything. Probably, reco- probably recover. And at least the way some of you uh, explain it, maybe Adventures with Purpose might just have been better if Jared wasn't running it in the first place, given his attitude, his personality, and everything else. So maybe in the long run, this will be better for the true crime community if Jared is out of it. Um, And given now what we know about him, and, you know, like I said, 30 years ago, but it still counts. And uh, I I think the general perception about people who do these things is, do they ever stop? I don't know anything about any of that. I'm not here to start a rumor or anything else. But we know when it comes to people who, let's just call it pedophiles, etc., they usually don't stop. So I hope Jared did. I hope he hasn't done this. Uh, since 1992. That's what I certainly hope, but I certainly hope that he is going to answer, have to answer for what he did 30 years ago. I certainly hope that. Huge, uh, huge story. Uh, huge story. Um, Deborah says, don't look me up. I'm a different person now. Charlie, Charles says, I've never been caught. Uh, Spleen, did you know Buffalo Jim in Las Vegas does not ring a bell? Puma, I got you beat in 1997. Not to say I haven't been pulled over. Just bat my green eyes, and I've gotten off on lots of speeding tickets. Look at you, Puma. Valerie, I did hear that it's not crazy. It's crazy, not surprised. You have nothing in your past. You're a good guy. Like I said, Valerie, uh, just a lot of uh, quirky things. And uh, when you're artsy-fartsy like I am at my core, Boston Jared has said it himself. He's an unlikable guy. He can be passive aggressive. That's why he put someone else in the limelight and stepped back. Well, you know, if you're willing to admit that you're an unlikable guy, how about turning into a likable guy? How about that? All right. So that's the big uh, thing I wanted to talk about. Got that out of the way. Just we'll see where it goes. Um, I, I'm not a legal expert. Some of you maybe understand this better than I do, but I suppose there is a chance he goes to jail, right? If somebody could answer that in the chat who has knowledge of such things, I would appreciate it. Moving on. Uh, the new unfound now was released today to everybody. Of course you, if you are a member on this channel, then you uh, got this early. You got this like a week ago. I talk about the disappearance of Lorenzo Holmes Jr., who went missing on August 8th, 2022, from a cruise ship in Alaska. And so I do a little map. Um, did a map analysis of where the ship was in this 
called the Gastineau Channel, which is very near shore. And go over the circumstances. I guess there was a video camera that actually caught him going off the ship. But when they went over there, they kind of, I don't think they turned the ship around, but people saw him go into the water and they went out in boats, could not find him. So I talk a little bit about that. Uh, and you know, for the Unfound Now segments that I like to use it as a learning tool, I bring up some themes, some uh, points of learning, things we can learn from this disappearance. Even though it's a tragedy, what can we learn from it? and apply it to other disappearances. So I do that with Lorenzo Holmes uh, Jr.'s disappearance. I, of course, hope that he is found alive, but I have to believe that probably he is not alive. Uh, now, why um, video did show that he went into the water by choice. So what was he thinking? What was in his mind? Was he high? Was he have some sort of mental episode? I don't know. Um, the information on Lorenzo Holmes Jr. as a person, there's not a lot out there. Uh, you know, his background and was he having any issues? I really couldn't find anything like that. All we know is he went into the water by choice. Moving on, uh, newsletter uh, was out, uh, got out last Tuesday. A lot of Panky stuff, a lot of Steve Panky stuff in it, which uh, probably should not surprise you given that he was found guilty a week ago today. And although I will talk about it at the end of this episode or uh, of this live show, like I always do, we are going to revisit um, Steve Pankey and the murder of Janelle Matthews for the third and final time this Friday um, before we, you know, I, I'm going to call it ending of an era. Uh, Boston says 25 years for each count regarding Jared. Really? Wow. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my. Okay. Um, Ferry absolutely could go to prison if found guilty. We'll have to register as a sex offender. What a disaster! What a disaster! Wow, okay. Uh, moving on. Uh, there was a decider.com uh, article about Joshua Guimond, and uh, unfound uh, was in the links. And uh, the the revisit episode. When did I do that? Like a year ago now. Uh, the unfound where we revisited his disappearance. Uh, there was a link there that they posted. So I just want to publicly on this live show give a shout out to the decider.com and uh, giving uh, unfound a little plug there, putting us and it, it was one of a few different podcasts that they linked to. So I just want to thank them for uh, including us in the article and linking to the Joshua Guimond episode that we did last year. Not the original one from 2016, but when we revisited it in, I think, 2021, that's what they linked to. And I still say, um, you have a lot of regrets <laughs> in doing Unfun. One of them certainly has been the interview I did with Steve in that the audio – uh, was so horrible. Uh, and I'm not going to get into why it was so bad again for like the 50th time. I think I've talked about that enough. But one of the other regrets I have, uh, if I could go back and start Unfound Over, was the interview I did uh, regarding Joshua's disappearance. 
I have nothing against Patrick Marker, although I've still not spoken to him since we did the since the episode came out in 2016. I have nothing against him. But it's also obvious to me that in retrospect, uh should have concentrated more on Josh and the disappearance than, you know, Patrick, of course, talked a lot about his life and um, you know, what he experienced at St. John's, and then we eventually got around to talking about Joshua's disappearance. I would never handle uh, the, it that way now. Once again, no offense. That's my fault. That's not the guest's fault. Um, so, uh, but it is what it is now. But um, thank you to this decider.com for including uh, a link to Unfound in the article. Thank you very much. Kathy says, revisited Joshua Gimond. Kathy is the unfound historian, by the way, uh, unofficially. Kathy says, revisited Josh Gimond, February 26, 2021. So that was, uh, wow, that was that long ago. It was not just a year ago. It was like a year uh, and three-fourths of a year ago. Wow. Okay. Thank you, Kathy. Moving on, I want to read this article, uh, and we may this may just get included in the update episode at the end of December. This has to do with the disappearance of Stephen Adams. He went missing in Oklahoma. This is a disappearance we covered in 2019. If you will remember the circumstances that he was going to college and he was coming home to his apartment, and then seemingly he got into a, his he gave somebody a ride in his own truck, and then Stephen went missing. And at the time, Stephen was going through a custody battle with his ex-wife, and the belief is that her, her family caused his disappearance. So where am I going with this? Well, um, yesterday, the day before, a listener sent me this article. And I'm going to read it to you now. It's very short. A gore man wanted on first degree murder, a first degree murder complaint has been arrested. Colton Younger Perry, 33 years old, was booked into the Muskogee County slash city detention facility at 3.30 p.m. Thursday, according to jail records. So this would be this past Thursday. Perry's wife, Misty Dawn Perry, 33, is charged with first degree murder in the slang of Sarah Diane Diamond, 29, also of Gore. Diamond was found dead in her home November 28th, 2016, which uh, coincidentally is two years exactly before my mother died. But Diamond was found dead in her home six years ago. Misty Perry is being held without bond. According to court records, Misty Perry came in to the Muskogee County Sheriff's Office and was interviewed by investigators uh, investigators after being advised of her rights, she confessed to shooting Diamond in the head in Diamond's bedroom in concert with Colton Perry. Now, why is this all um, being talked and what does this have to do with Stephen Adams' disappearance? Uh, Colton Perry is the cousin uh, is a cousin of Stephen's ex-wife Alicia. And it is believed that it was Colton Perry's father. Of course, Colton, um, Stephen disappeared 18 years ago, 17 years ago. So Colton would have only been 15 or 16 at the time. But it is believed 
that it was Colton Perry's father who was waiting for Stephen Adams when he came home that day from school. This is all in the same family. Misty Perry, Colton Perry, Stephen's ex-wife, Alicia, and her father, all closely, closely, closely related. And so I guess there is maybe a thinking out there that maybe, maybe now that Colton and Misty are in jail, maybe they feel like getting uh, their sentence reduced, sentences reduced for the murder of this diamond woman if they're willing to give up some information about the disappearance of Stephen Adams, which has been pretty cold. I will tell you that I buy into the idea that um, Stephen was murdered due to this custody battle makes all the sense in the world. I think there are facts certainly to back that up. Uh, you know, he said he was giving somebody a ride and he was spotted with somebody in his truck, somebody who's never been identified, but like I said, people who know this disappearance very, very well think that it was Alicia's father who was with them or an uncle. And uh, Stephen's mother was the guest going way back to that interview in 2019. And of course, she believed that, believes that her son was murdered. And she believes that his ex-wife's family is um, are the main perpetrators. And they all know what happened. And then this would include, include of course, Misty and Colton Perry. So let's see what happens. I will uh, try to keep up on this as best I can. I think that this listener who sent me... Um, who sent me this uh, information. Uh, I did not notice it. We're up to 270 disappearances. There, there are things that I miss. So I, I have to thank that listener for sending that to me, and we will keep an eye on it. And if so, I think that this would be the, the biggest break in Stephen Adams' disappearance, maybe since he went missing. So you can start to look up that. If... Um, if you're not familiar with Stephen Adams' disappearance, maybe you're new to the podcast. Like I said, this that's a disappearance. Uh, I'm sure Kathy is going to go look it up right now. Uh, that's a disappearance, an episode that came out in 2019. Uh, the only reason I remember that is it was certainly after my mother died, when my mother died, which was in November of 2018. So there you go. So maybe... And, and, and the truth is, I, I mean, if we're really, really um, keeping track of things, you know, we've kind of been on a little bit of a drought, uh, Unfound has, with uh, the solving of disappearances with, like, remains being found. Um, of course, we know Janelle Matthews' murder. Uh, Steve Pankey has been convicted. I guess that's certainly something. And, but, you know, after that, we have to go back to like Ashley Simpson, which is a Canadian disappearance. Her remains were found, but not a lot of that has gone on this year. Whereas it seemed at least for a while when we were like, uh, of course, with Zoe Campos and Andrea Bowman, all that happening. Um, you know, Esther Westenbarger, her, she and her car are found crystal Morris. Found, we had all these things going on. It certainly does seem like things have cooled off. I'm hoping they get heated up again and, um, we can start talking about 
some more of these disappearances being solved or at least remains being found. And Stephen Adams uh, was after, it was after my mother's death, but it was still in 2018, a very small sliver of time. Thank you, Kathy. Stephen Adams' uh, episode came out on December 14th, 2018, which that means that is an episode I produced while being in Pennsylvania after my mother's death. I was up there until the end of January of 2019. Kathy, thank you for looking that up. Moving on, I want to talk about um, this missing teacher. Did you see this story? Uh, I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to read the original story first, and then I'm going to read the update. The original story from Elvin, Texas. Surveillance video has been recovered of a missing teacher from Elvin ISD after a car was found in New Orleans or New Orleans. 48-year-old Michelle Reynolds is a teacher at Fairview Junior High in Elvin, she was reported missing Thursday. Her car was has was since discovered there in Louisiana, and now surveillance video of her in New Orleans on Friday has surfaced. The video from a New Orleans business is giving updated information about Reynolds Reynolds after her family lost saw, saw her in the Houston area Thursday. We did get surveillance of her actually parking her car on St. Peter's Street. At 12.01 p.m. Friday afternoon, I think this was back in September, and then kind of what direction she was walking. St. Peter's Street is pretty close to the Mississippi River, explains Tim Miller. All of you know Tim Miller from Texas EquiSearch. Shortly after receiving word about the new video, Texas EquiSearch put a helicopter in the air searching the banks of the Mississippi and the river itself for any signs of the missing mother. We're flying probably about 20 miles down the river, low-flying, We've had a lot of success recovering victims with the helicopter. Reynolds's husband, Michael Reynolds, told, uh, said the New Orleans company gave him surveillance video after his wife, wife's gray Lexus was found near there. A high school teacher said to be perhaps not in her normal mental state. We know that Michelle was confused. There's some things that were going on, Miller says, and he adds, in the beginning we were wondering was she carjacked, is something else happening until we got that surveillance? And yes, she parked at 12.01 p.m., got out of her car, and started walking. So we now know that foul play did not happen from point A to point B. Hopefully she's confused, and she's wandering around over there, and somebody's going to see her, and we're going to get her back safe. That's certainly the goal. My, uh, the, her purse, her license with credit cards, and her cell phone were found inside her car. Uh, Michael Reynolds says his kids are taking his wife's disappearance extremely hard and all of them want her back safely and soon. That was the original article. So here is the update. A Texas woman who was missing for weeks in New Orleans was located alive. Michael Reynolds confirms the WDSU, his wife, Michelle Reynolds, 48, was found on Monday. That was last Monday. Michael said someone eating with Michelle, eating with her, recognized her and called the Brazoria County Sheriff's Office in Texas. He tells WSU the 48-year-old was living among the homeless since she went missing in September. So she was doing this for at least a month and a half. She was taken to the Louisiana State Police after being identified. Since then, a family member who lives two hours away from New Orleans has been keeping her. 
Michael said he has not spoken to, spoken to Michelle yet. However, he is on the way to New Orleans and will take her back to their home in Texas right away. Very, very happy ending to this. About as, be- as good as it gets. Uh, it seems that she did have some sort of uh, mental breakdown. Something went on. And that she wasn't abducted. It doesn't sound like she was um, sex trafficked in any way. It doesn't sound like even though she was in New Orleans, she was in New Orleans among the homeless, that anything um, bad happened to her. She wasn't attacked. She wasn't raped. Uh, This is about as good as it gets for a scenario such as this. But the question also then is, what exactly happened? What was going on? Is this the first time that she did this? I don't know if we're ever going to know those things. Um, It would be nice. It certainly would be um, helpful if after she goes back to Texas and starts to get a handle on her life again and whatever was going on there, that she would do an interview with local media and say, you know, I just want to tell everybody what happened. And I was going through some issues and uh, depression. It would be nice if she did this because this might help us. And uh, because I think this is kind of like the dream scenario for all families out there that they hope that their missing loved one, this is exactly what happened. And it's just a matter of time that the person is found among the homeless and the family can bring that missing loved one home. Now we know that how rare that is. And we also know that the circumstances of um, usually dictate if we can think that or not. But what I would say is even though this did not end up being an unfound episode, even though this didn't even get covered as an unfound now, that even without the video, I would have really doubted that she drove the whole way to New Orleans from Texas to uh, commit suicide by jumping into the Mississippi River. This is not kind of the thinking, not the direction I would have gone with my thinking. Not at all. Um there are plenty of rivers and in, in places if she was going to jump into a river or go drown in a lake or something, there's plenty of ways to do that in Texas. She doesn't have to go the whole way to New Orleans to do that. So I still, I think had I covered this in an unfound now, I would have been very ho- uh, hopeful that she would be found. Now that somebody recognized her. I mean, that's probably the, maybe the most shocking part of all of this other than her actually still being alive is that somebody actually, you know, was eating with her and saw a picture and said, you know, that that that's that missing woman. I got to give credit to whoever recognized that. I want to give that credit person credit all the per, uh, all the credit in the world um, to being so, uh, you know, to have such uh, to observe something like that. Um to be so keen to notice that uh, because it easily could have been that this person didn't recognize her and she continued to live on the street and died out there. That very easily could have happened. So she is back with her family. Doubt we'll ever find out exactly what happened, but uh, Sharia is saying she had been struggling with some kind of mental health issues. Husband said she lived in New Orleans when she was a child. So maybe that played into her decision. 
Sheree says, I'll say born, uh, Sheree says born and raised in Brazoria County. First time mentioned on Unfound. You were born in Brazoria County, Sheree. Okay. I think it is the first time mentioned on Unfound. Did I pronounce it correctly, Sheree? Brazoria County? Is that right? Hope I got it right. So uh, I guess a happy ending to this story. I certainly hope that Michelle can keep her mental health issues in check. I hope she gets uh, medicine. Maybe she needs therapy. I hope she gets all of that. She certainly deserves it. And she can live out, uh, have a long life with her husband, kids, grandkids, and we never have to talk about her in regards to a missing persons case again. I'm certainly hoping that. And I did pronounce it correctly. Thank you, Sheree. Okay. So I wanted to talk about that. Um, What is the next story? Uh, Important, important story that I want to talk about this. I want to talk about a little bit about the Pike County massacre from 2016. Now, this is a story that many of you knew about. Of course, it's not too often that eight people, nine, eight, nine, 10, 11 people get murdered, and those murders go unsolved for a long time in a situation such as this, where people in their houses are murdered in and people get away with it. Now we know there are of course mass shootings like out in Vegas for that concert in schools. We know that there are a bunch of people who do get killed all at one time, but what happened uh, back in 2016 in Pike County in Ohio is very rare where people in their homes are shot to death. And on top of that, at least initially, nobody is sure what happened. So I'm going to read at least part of this article uh, so we can uh, think about this. Angela Wagner accused of conspiring to kill eight family members in what has been known as the 2016 Pike County, Ohio massacre case, said in testimony that the murders were her husband's idea. Wagner made the claim Tuesday, the last Tuesday, while testifying against her son, George Wagner, the fourth. And prosecutors allowed her to do so without being recorded by the media in Ohio's most expensive murder trial ever. She, husband George Billy Wagner and sons Edward Jake Wagner and George Wagner IV allegedly shot and killed eight people six years ago, including five members of the Roden family and three members of the Gilly family over a custody dispute. They'll know... And then they come for Jake that shoot him, if not all of us. Angela Wagner said her husband told her. He also said the families had to be murdered, she testified. Angela Wagner pleaded guilty, or pled guilty, in 2021 to helping plan the ambush. Jake Wagner's son also pled guilty to shooting five of the eight victims, including the mother of his child, to avoid the death penalty. Jake Wagner testified last week that he felt he had no other choice but to murder the family members over fears his daughter would be molested. It's a common topic tonight on the live show. The Wagner family patriarch George Wagner is accused of shooting the other three victims and has pled not guilty. He is scheduled to go to trial after his son. Prosecutors say George Wagner IV, 31, helped plot the killings and was present for the April 2016 rampage that spanned three separate locations 
but he did not pull the trigger. The Wagner and Roden families had been close until Jake Wagner and Hannon Roden split and began battling over custody of their daughter, who was three years old at the time. Hannah Roden refused to give custody to the Wagners and wrote in a Facebook message sent four months before the massacre that they'll have to kill me first, according to testimony. I guess be careful what you write on social media. Jake Wagner said he feared his daughter would be subjected to sexual abuse if she stayed with 19-year-old Hannah Roden and decided his daughter's mother had to die. He was unhappy with the men Hannah Roden dated and felt they were a threat to their daughter. After months plotting the murders, Jake Wagner crept into Hannah Roden's room and she awoke and looked at him before he shot her in the head as her five-year-old nuzzled at her stomach. He repossessioned her lifeless body so she could continue to nurse the infant she shared with another man, even though she was dead. It's so distorted. So messed up. So messed up. At another trailer down the road, Jake Wagner allegedly blasted Frankie Roden and his fiancee, Hannah Gilly, as she nursed their six-month-old son who was left alive but drenched in his parents' blood. The other victims included Hannah Roden's brother, Christopher Roden, 16, her mother, Dana, Hannah Roden's father, Christopher Roden Sr., Christopher Roden's brother, Kenneth Roden, and cousin Gary Roden. The mysterious murders baffled investigators. The Wagner family members who attended many of their victims' uh, funerals weren't initially suspects. They were arrested two years later when new evidence emerged. What we all have to understand about this. Now, maybe some of you don't remember, but I surely remember because I was following this when this happened. All over Reddit and Web Sleuths and everywhere else like that, what did everybody think at the time? This was he, some huge cartel killing. I guess the Rodins and maybe the Wagners too um, were involved in, in marijuana growing illegally in Ohio. And the most popular theory back at the time when this all happened is some Mexican cartel sent a hit team up there to kill all of these people because they were, I don't know, stealing from the cartel or... The cartel was trying to put other, you know, uh, competition out of business and everything like that. But in the end, I want you to remember something about this. No matter how huge the crime, the motives and decisions are always very straightforward. What have I said about disappearances since, uh, since day one? Not day one, but since I figured this out not too long into Unfound's existence. Number one cause of disappearances are relationships. Well, you know what? You know what the number one cause of murders are? Also, relationships. And so this is why at the time I didn't buy into any sort of uh, drug deals gone bad or cartel or anything else. Now, I would admit that that, that what didn't come to my mind was some sort of custody dispute. Probably that makes more sense now, now that I've been doing Unfound for um, six years. But 
if you're following Unfound long enough, the motives for these killings really should not surprise us at all. It's ghastly. It's unique. It's rare. It's on the upper fringes of what goes on in society. But still, the motivations are just as normal as any other kind of crime. Now, do I think that there was some distortion going on here? Do I think that uh, the one family talked themselves into doing this? Do I, do I think that they had a rational reason to believe that this little girl was going to be molested? I really don't know. I don't, I, uh, did sexual molestation, this topic is like the thing on the live show tonight. Um, is this what the rodents do? The, do the rodents have a history of molesting children or something? If they do, I guess then the other family's fears were not unreasonable. Now, the way they chose to uh, go about fixing that, of course, was very, very wrong. But this also shows to me that how just a simple thought about, well, my daughter is going to be molested can turn into something like this. Just that little morsel of fear. And there might not even be any evidence to back that up that his three-year-old daughter was going to be molested. Just the thought of it was enough to create fear that eventually led to these four people killing those eight people. And not just you know going into their houses, three separate locations, planning this all out, thinking about how they're going to get away with it. Just from that little morsel of a thought that I'm not sure had any basis in fact. This is what makes all of this so difficult because this is not a motivation, like I said, at least on the surface, could be predicted. This is what makes disappearances so difficult. When we start getting into why did this person do this and why did this person do that, there's just things you just don't know. And what it also shows, and this goes also to disappearances and how so many times people want to create these lavish um, conspiracy theories and everything else. It also shows that, you know what, regular people can pull these things off without a, you know, it doesn't take expertise. It does not take, um, let's say, a cartel hit team who are used to killing people to do something like this. All it takes is a few motivated people, even though they've never murdered anybody before. It's horrible, but all it takes are motivated individuals. Something I have to remember. Also, what I have written in my notes in regards to all of this, explanations are usually straightforward. That does not mean, though, that they make sense. This doesn't... The explanation, once you understand, you know, look at it, okay, but that doesn't mean it makes sense. Surely shooting people is not the way to solve this problem. If they believed it might have been a totally rational idea if there was proof that this three-year-old girl was going to get molested. But that doesn't mean what they ended up doing makes sense. So... What these people did makes no sense, but the way they went about it is very logical. So we all keep alternating between the irrational and the, ra and the rational, the illogical and the logical. 
It's totally illogical what they chose to do, but they went about it in a very logical way to the point that they ended up not getting caught for a couple years for eight murders. That's pretty good planning. I don't know how they really thought they were ultimately going to get away with it, but at least in the moment that the authorities didn't track them down for a couple years, I guess is pretty good planning, I guess. Not that I side with them, but still. You know, they could have easily done this some totally different way. They could have ambushed them all. They could, you know, while the victims were driving or something like that. They weren't sloppy like that. This was calculated. So I think we just need to keep all of that in mind as we think about disappearances. Something can be both rational and irrational. It can be both logical and illogical. Somebody can have an idea that is totally logical, but what they, the way they go about fixing it is totally illogical. Or somebody can have a totally illogical idea, but the way they go about accomplishing it is very logical. This makes it so tough. That's what make these, makes these crimes so tough. Now, I have to admit that, uh, and maybe some of you have been following this more closely, I don't know what eventually led authorities to charging these people. Maybe some of you know that. Was there something that these people left behind? Uh, was their DNA left behind? W- did they match up like some of the bullets to some of the Wagner's guns? Uh, did one of these four members blab to somebody? Uh, I'm a little unclear on that. So if anybody wants to, um, if anybody knows that and wants to write that in the chat, I would certainly appreciate it. I'd like to see, given that they surely planned this out for a while, what the flaw was that eventually got them caught. So if anybody knows that, please type it out. I'm very interested in that. All right, and Shree, uh, Assistant Shree is saying, what got them caught was boot prints that Angela had bought in Walmart. So I guess what you're saying is not long before um, these murders, she had gone to uh, a Walmart and bought boots, and those happened to match up to the boot prints at the scene. Huh. That was enough, huh, Sheree? Boot prints were enough to do it. Maybe there's asking me more than that, right, Sheree? Please let me know. I once again, just not um uh also there was a forged custody document that really started it all. Oh, well, that certainly would get people's attention. Forged documents always gonna catch people's attention. That's how it is. Uh, this was uh, like like I read. This was motivated by uh, a custody issue, and when you find a forged custody document, then you start thinking: Could it be that they were killed because of it? Okay, thank you for that, Shuri. Moving on. Uh, what else do I want to talk about? Is that it? Talked about that. Talked about that. I want to talk about Patreon a little bit. I think all of you in here are in the discussion group. And you know we have like 8,700 people in there. Um, I have to admit that I'm a little frustrated. 
and I'm willing to take all of the blame for it, but you are going to have to help me uh, understand some things. And by the way, uh, we've got 15 minutes to go. If you've not given this video a thumbs up, I hope you will do so. But uh, I've just noticed recently that, you know, I realized that, pa, that Unfound is in a certain strata of, of the podcast world, of the true crime podcast world. It is certainly not at the level of serial and how popular it was at the time. But I also understand that Unfound, when I look at the downloads and what I think um, my understanding about stats regarding downloads, not just for true crime podcasts, for, but for all podcasts, Unfound stats are very good. They're never going to be number one. It's kind of a niche or niche podcast being that we only cover missing persons cases. It's not like, for example, like Generation Y, where they do a whole bunch of coverage of different things. And, um, you know, you can name maybe several other podcasts. Of course, there are podcasts that do nothing but Supernatural. There are podcasts that do nothing but Serial Killers. There's, there are podcasts that only do... Um, you know, about, uh, you know, court cases and things like that. And all we do at Unfound are missing persons, unsolved missing persons cases. But what is a bit confusing to me, and I'm looking for explanation, and that's why I posted the uh, in the group regarding this topic and comparing Unfound to some other podcasts that I respect is I'm looking for an answer as to why those podcasts or shows, I you know, uh, or YouTube show like John Lord and John Lord is included in there and Lord and Arts. Why do they have so many more Patreon supporters than Unfound does? Now, like I said, I'm willing to take the blame. Is there something that um, I'm not doing? You know, how is it that there can be 8,700 members in the group? But Unfound has only 76 Patreon supporters. It seems like there's a disconnect there. Now, I'm not saying that there should be 8,700 Patreon supporters. That would be crazy. But you also have to understand the other uh, podcasts that I listed in that post, I think are very similar to Unfound. And all of them have at least 100% more. So if uh, Unfound is 76, the next closest one has 150-some. And then you even get up, some of them have 200-some supporters. And then I think at least one of them I listed as 300-some Patreon supporters. And then I also listed Generation Y, just to give an extreme example. Would you believe that Generation Y has 2,200 Patreon supporters. Unfound as 76. Now, I know Generation Y is certainly more popular than Unfound. And uh, there's no doubt that it gets more downloads. And I'm happy for I'm happy those guys. I know those guys, although I've not spoken to them recently. I have nothing bad to say about either of those guys. Every um, communication I've ever had with them has been spectacular. They do a fine uh, podcast. And in fact, you'll remember a couple years ago, I was on that game show on John Lorden's YouTube channel with uh, one of the hosts from Generation Y. 
spectacular time. I'm not jealous of them. Happy for them. Happy for all those podcasts. Excellent. All I'm wondering is why Unfound is different. What am I not doing as a host to encourage more people to become Patreon supporters? You know, I realized that, um, you know, there's a fine line. <laughs> you know, if you don't talk about it at all, then nobody signs up. But if you talk about it too much, then people feel like they're being battered over the head. Uh, so with any host, no matter me or John Lorden or the guys at Generation Y or people outside true crime, um, you know, there's a fine line on how much you really want to talk about it. But I realize that the support is out there. Uh, I do not feel bad asking for the support. I know the perception may be that, um, well, Ed, you know, he lives in this condo. You can see him in the background, and uh, he lives right on the beach and everything else. But I also like to remind everybody, I drive a Hyundai with 100,000 miles on it. And, uh, you know, so... Um, you know, I'd like to think that I live within my means, and I know that uh, all of you respect what we do here. So once again, I'm willing to take the blame. I'm just looking for good, some good constructive criticism about why you think those other podcasts. What what have those hosts done that I haven't? What have they done to earn support that I haven't? And I'm asking that. So that's what's going on in the discussion group right now. I hope that you will go there and give your opinion. Maybe if you just want to contact me personally regarding this topic, unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, I see the downloads. And, and the fact is, even with the changeover from Podomat to Spotify and the downloads dropping, because frankly, I was getting lied to by Podomatic about how many downloads uh, the podcast had there. The fact is 2022 has been a spectacular year for unfound. I, I am very happy with, uh, the work we've done this year. I'm very, very happy with the downloads. I'm very happy with, uh, the, the partnership that I've had with Spotify and megaphone. I'd like to think that it's been good for both. They've made money. This podcast has certainly made money. Not a ton of money, not a lot of money, certainly not uh, living uh, living on money, but certainly more than it, than Unfound was making before. So I know the support is out there. I know the respect is out there. I know that you know we do good work here, so I continue to wonder about it. When I think about the downloads and try to equate that to 76 patrons. So I'm looking for input. And I don't, as you know, I don't do this very often. I hate asking people for advice. Uh, but I talked it over with Cherie. I had um, given her uh, the post, you know, I let her read it. Did I think it, you know, did she think it struck the right tone? She thought it did. And so I posted it. And I know a lot of people have already commented and I'll try to take, uh, that constructive criticism uh, from it. And I realize, tough times, I realize. You know, I see Facebook going to be laying off a bunch of people this week. 
I know about inflation and all these other things that are going on, and I'm affected by it too. Sucks. Gas going up in, in price sucks. Food going up in price sucks. It all, I know. I get it. Uh, I, but I'd also like to remind everybody, for example, to join this channel on YouTube and to get some cool stuff, it's $3 a month. To become a Patreon supporter only takes $2 a month. And that's right in line with, I think, what everybody else is doing. So there you go. Uh, if you've had not seen that post yet, I hope you'll read it and uh, give me some constructive criticism on it. What do you think that they're doing right, that I'm doing wrong? What can I do better to earn more of your support You know, with uh, an occasional $2 a month? I'd like to certainly know that. I think that we put out great content. Of course, the Patreon people get a lot of cool stuff as well. So please consider it. All right, I'm done with that topic. Moving on, I want to talk about this Friday's episode. I want to assure everybody, well, I, I don't know if I can promise. I, I hate breaky breaking. Um, Jasmine says, can you post it in the group maybe once or twice a week? What would you like me to post in the group uh, once or twice a week? A reminder about Patreon. Is that what you're saying, Jasmine? Uh, if so, please, if that's it, uh, I will certainly consider it. Okay. That's yes? Okay. I will consider it. Thank you. Um, this Friday, we are going to um, revisit the, uh, the murder of Janelle Matthews for the third, and I'm hoping final time, although I cannot make any promises. Uh, I, I am ready to put uh, the interview that I did with Steve Pankey to bed um, as many times as I've listened to it. I've listened to it, of course, in Colorado twice. Uh, well, four times now, twice each time. And uh, I'm ready to put it to bed. But the fact is that what's some, something crazy is that you have to remember something. When I first interviewed Steve, Unfound was only three years old, which means, and now it's six years old, which means half of Unfound's existence has been in what we might call the Steve Pankey, or let's just call it Janelle Matthews era. This is how much time uh, has been under that umbrella. But I think this Friday, we're going to finally end that era. But in doing so, and I'm sure maybe some of you are saying, oh, no, not the Steve Pankey interview again. But we're finally going to talk about that interview in the context that has never been talked about before. And that is, what can we learn from all of this? You know, of course, the problem we've had is that, of course, the first time it was played, we had no idea if Steve Pankey was ever going to go to trial or not. He wanted to be interviewed. I did it. The second time it was played was when I was in Colorado. And of course, that ended up being a hung jury. Well, finally, we can play this interview and we can look at it in the context of we now know that who you are hearing for sure in that interview is a guilty man. Even though there may be some of us who still doubt that guilt, but 
the law is spoken. He's guilty. He's going to jail for 20 years. The earliest he can get out, he'll be 91 years old. But because we're all about education at Unfound, we can now look at it through the prism of what can we learn about this? What can we learn about the media covering uh, murders like this and people like Steve Pankey? And then on top of that, what can we apply from this this uh, era, these three years, and apply it to all of the other disappearances that we've covered and will cover? Because we have to remember, although we now think of Janelle Matthews's case as a murder case, we have to remember for 35 years, it was a disappearance case. And although I'm going to bring this up in the episode because it's already been written, but I want you to think about that. This is how complex this is. I hope I can explain this off the top of my head. Let's say in an alternate universe that I would have um, covered Janelle Matthews's disappearance. Let's just say even in 2018. Let's just say that. Sometime in 2018, I was able to reach her family. And let's just say I ended up talking to Janelle's mother about Janelle's disappearance. And we finally decided to do an official interview and talk about everything regarding her disappearance. Of course, everything that was known. That she was at this concert. She gets dropped off by Russell Ross. She's home by herself. She answers the phone. And then when the father comes home an hour later, she's not there. The garage door is open. There's, there's footprints in the yard from the, in the snow. And somebody attempted to rake uh, the prints over, but I guess was somewhat unsuccessful. That's what we would have to go on. And of course, I would ask her about, was Janelle talking about anybody? Was she fearful of anybody? And maybe the talk about the orange car would have come up. Maybe the talk about how, uh, you know, what Janelle had mentioned to a friend of hers about she thought somebody was following her and all this. I'm sure that would have come up in that interview in a hypothetical timeline had I covered her disappearance in 2018. Now, what is going to absolutely boggle your mind is that even if I had done that in 2018, Steve Pankey would not have been mentioned at all. Not because Janelle's mother wouldn't have wanted to mention him, not because I wouldn't have wanted to mention him, not because somebody else would have said, no, you can't talk about him. The reason we wouldn't have talked about Steve Pankey is because you know what? He was not known to the Matthews family in 2018. So we would have done uh, this very extensive coverage of the disappearance. And maybe we might've talked about some suspects Maybe Norris Drake's uh, name would have come up, the person who lived across the street, a person that defense uh, tried to portray as a a possible alternative to Steve in in Janelle's murder. Maybe his name would have come up. But it can boggle your mind if even I had covered that disappearance in 2018, Steve Pankey's name would have never come up. Despite everything he did between 1984 and 2018, 
all the interactions he had with law enforcement in Colorado, all the interactions he had in law enforcement in Idaho, all of the playing coy with allegedly knowing information about Janelle's disappearance, all of that would have never been talked about because it was never made public. Matthew's family had never been told about any of it. That is a mind blower that I could have covered that disappearance as recently in 2018 and still Steve Pankey never would have gotten mentioned because the Pankeys or the Matthews had never heard of him until her remains were found in 2019 and he became a suspect. That is crazy. So I'm going to talk about that uh, during the podcast on Friday. So we're, it's, we're just going to call it the Colorado versus Steve Pankey, the end of an era. And I will do my best to never play his interview in an episode again. So that's all I got for uh, tonight. Uh, man, we covered a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of territory tonight. Um, of course, no disc golf. Talked about Powerball. The drawing is happening in a minute, I think. Or maybe they're delaying it. Are they delaying it maybe to 1130? Did I see that somewhere? Um, talked about some of my favorite Christmas movies. Had my bike story going down to the mobile station and back. The Mary Cox poll. The new out unfound now. Talked about Patreon. Newsletter is now out. Uh, unfound got mentioned during a, a, an article on Joshua Guimond. Talked about something that could be connected to Stephen Adams' disappearance. Of course, Jared Lysick with Adventures with Purpose. The Missing Teacher. The Pike County Massacre. Uh, wow, covered a lot of uh, territory tonight. Um, happy to do it for all of you. I love putting these agendas for these um, live shows together. And, uh, of course, uh, some very generous uh, Super Chat people tonight. Thank you all. You're very generous. Cannot thank you enough. And that's it. Everybody keep their head on swivels. Do not be victims out there. Keep your head on swivels. I don't care where you are. Do not let people creep up behind you and do bad things to you. And you will hear, you will at least hear me, not see me, but hear me on Friday as we put to bed the murder of Janelle Matthews. Good night, everyone. Good night, nephew Charlie. Great seeing all of you. Thanks for taking time out of your Monday night for the live show. Good night.